loved every bit of it. I was yeah. working 17-hour shifts, 19-hour shifts, 20-hour shifts. I was like 16, 17 years old, and I just loved it. It didn't feel like work. There were times I'd work a 17-hour shift, and I would drive to the next Waffle House that had me working five hours later and just sleep in my van and then switch my shirt and go right back into wow. working. So, And it was just a lot of fun because it felt like every shift was just an opportunity to become a better cook. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiori. And in this episode, I speak with Chef Leon Brunson, owner of Leon's at Lake Ella. His journey to owning a restaurant has included working the line in his hometown Waffle House in Panama City, refining his skills at fine dining restaurants, being a private chef, and time at Cool Beans Cafe, where he says he really learned to cook. He describes himself as a southern chef with international flair and loves exploring new flavors and techniques to offer his diners a unique experience. As much as Leon loves food, his first passion is the video game Dance Dance Revolution, which he says dominated his childhood. His DDR skills and competitive drive led to appearances in the World Champions League and being ranked as high as number four in the U.S. During COVID, Leon started streaming cooking classes online, which would lead to a spot on the Hulu reality cooking show Secret Chef. Leon discusses the reality of being on a reality show and his thoughts on the outcome. After trying to leave more than once, Leon has come to love Tallahassee and is committed to helping with regional food insecurity through his work with the second harvest of the Big Bend. We start our conversation talking about growing up in Panama City. It was very interesting. So my dad, he was more along the lines of he was very um, individualist. Like he did everything on his own. He was very much so like an introvert. He did not get any kind of energy from like hanging with family. He did a lot of stuff on his own, but it was really me, my mom, and my sister who were kind of like, you know, a lot closer and had that family dynamic. So we had a really odd one. My mom worked at um, Winn-Dixie full-time. My dad worked for the city of Parker. My sister was going to school. I was going to school. So like when we came home at the end of the day, it wasn't really like a family that was getting together. It was mom went to do her position my sister went to do homework. I went to go do, do my own thing. My dad went to go do his own thing. And then we kind of got together at the end and we had, you know, dinner together. Uh, my dad watched TV and had dinner on his own, but we would, me, my sister, and my mom, we would eat at the table together. So hmm. we never really all ate together. My dad did a lot of stuff on his own, whereas like me, my sister, and my mom kind of had a really strong bond. Yeah. Are you a beach person? Do you spend time at the beach? I wasn't a beach person until I came to Tallahassee. Um, <laughs> I did not like the beach. I worked on the beach at Waffle House. I was not really, I didn't really enjoy it. It was always there. Uh, to me, it was a tourist attraction. Mm -hmm. I just didn't see the value of a beach because to me, it was an annoyance because it led to more traffic and more people who really didn't, were just coming to Panama City. I, so growing up, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. Now... Oh my God, I would love to be by a beach. I would love to be by a beach. So yeah. no opportunity, but it would, it would warm my heart for sure. Yeah. All right, so what about high school? How, you, you went to Rutherford? 
Ooh, so high school, yeah, I went to Rutherford High. Um, yep. High school is very interesting for me because high school came at a time where I play a competitive game called Dance Dance Revolution. And that game really took all my childhood. So asking about my childhood, um, I met that gentleman, Richard, and we ended up finding this game, Dance Dance Revolution. All right, let's talk about that. So that's when you hold on to the bar and move your feet to the video yep, screen? Yep, that's me. Okay. So, yeah, it's the so arc- you were good at that? Yes. Um, You're still good at that? Still good at that. I mean, in 2005, yeah, you hold on to the bar behind you and you have a dance pad. In the dance pad, you have four arrows that you line up with targets on the screen. You watch the arrows, and you hit the appropriate arrow depending on the direction. So we would play at home. We ended up playing at the arcade. We loved it so much that we asked our parents to take us to Pensacola to do a tournament. We saw the potential of, like, really talented players. And then they told us there's even more talented players in Daytona. So eventually we went to Daytona to compete. That led to me going to North Carolina to compete nationally. And I was just really attracted by the idea of consistent practice would put me in a position to compete with some of these people who I felt like were my role models. Hmm. So I loved it. I loved it. So my mom, I want to play. She would take me, you know, every day after middle school, you know, or not every day, but she would try and take me as much as she could with her schedule. And that was a lot of my childhood. So going into high school, I was kind of getting out of the game. The, you know, a lot of the arcades were kind of shutting down. The game wasn't keeping up with the current version. And so going into high school, I had this insane competitive drive to want to do something and be great at something. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. And at the time, I just didn't had, had no feeling towards anything other than saxophone. So in high school, I was a band player. Uh, I was an IB. So I took that same kind of like work talent into education and band. And I ended up getting first chair my sophomore year in all-county, uh, first chair oh, in all-county awesome. yeah. junior year, and just kind of succeeded in band. But High school, high school was weird. High school Did you do jazz weird. band too? No, nah, we just we were traditional. Just I had actually up. very, very traditional band. So yeah, jazz band. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds fun. So I'm just fascinated by the game thing because I've seen it at Fun Station. So it's a combination of of physical endurance, right? You got to be fit to do it to Correct. some extent, right? And the mental, like nonstop. Seems very stressful watching people do it. I always tell people like I chose the wrong game. Like to, people come <laughs> home from work and they, you know, they're on a controller, sitting down, yeah. comfortable. And yeah, for me, I get into my gym clothes. I take caffeine. I get, I stretch out. I get ready. I warm up. I'm playing for an hour and a half, and I could burn up to like two thousand calories. Yeah. So yeah, it it is a combination of consistent practice, of keeping in physical shape, keeping that mental sharpness when you're playing yeah. the game. Um, and, and the game's always releasing new content, so it's you can always be competitive. As of today, I competed in an international competition where I placed second um, in the World Champions League. So wow. our team got second against Chile. So I'm still playing now. I've been playing for eight, 19 years next year. So Well, congratulations. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's one a of those, weird one. It's one of those things people like, if you're at a party or something, guess something you don't know about me. Mm-hmm. That would be a good one. Right. Or like you go to an arcade with somebody and they're like, oh, you want to play this game? I'm like, like, oh, yeah, maybe. I might. Maybe. <laughs> so just... you could hustle that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you can't look at me and be like, oh, he's a DDR player. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. All right. So also while you were in high school, you mentioned it a minute ago, but you worked at the Waffle House, yes. right? Yes. What, what was I know that that lays the foundation a lot for kind of where you are today and kind of introduced you to food and is that where you kind of first thought that maybe this is something that you had a lot of interest in? Absolutely. I didn't cook at home when I was with my parents, my sister, my mom. None of us cooked. My dad didn't cook. My mom could barely cook. She just cooked to get us by and did a lot of fast food. My sister didn't cook. I didn't cook. No one cooked. Okay. No one liked vegetables. No one liked 
You know, we weren't getting fresh pieces of fish. Do they serve vegetables at Waffle House? Onions, tomatoes, and peppers. <laughs> in little tiny pieces. In the canned version, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, sorry. But yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, eat, I was a picky eater. Like, I just mm-hmm. was a super picky eater. So I get to Waffle House and, you know, they're talking to me about techniques and trying to train me to cook. And I just didn't know. I was just, you know, a customer at Waffle House. But yeah, that's where I really got the majority of my love for food. I really feel like I've got a love for restaurants first before I loved food. I loved that feeling of like putting together this order in a fast, succinct, clean manner that would then immediately go out to the customers and they would have this insane experience. You know, you didn't know where they were coming from, whether they were drunk from the bar, off the interstate, tired, just starting their day. Like people off house most of the times were very thankful for their food. And it was just cool for me. So I took that competitive drive that I was lacking in DDR and then just put it into Waffle House. I felt mm. like if I can just be consistent in something like I was with DDR and reach, you know, number four in America, I feel like I can do the same with Waffle House. Yeah. And so it quickly did. The smells, the sounds, the environment, the whole thing. I loved every bit of it. I was yeah. working 17-hour shifts, 19-hour shifts, 20-hour shifts. I was like 16, 17 years old. And I just loved it. It didn't feel like work. There were times I'd work a 17-hour shift and I would drive to the next Waffle House that had me working five hours later and just sleep in my van and then switch my shirt and go right back into wow. working. So, And it was just a lot of fun because it felt like every shift was just an opportunity to become a better cook. Hmm. Yeah, I don't – it's interesting because – I don't, that's probably not the attitude of most people who work in a restaurant like that, right? right? It's a job. I'm just here, man. I'm slinging whatever. I'm mm-hmm. doing it. Not like this is an awesome opportunity to learn how to cook better. Right. Did I'm, everybody think you were crazy when you were ex- like come to work all excited? <laughs> yeah, everyone that everyone thought I was crazy for years. Even after Waffle yeah. House, I'd go into my restaurant jobs. But yeah, I would, I would on slow shifts, I'd cook as fast as I possibly could. And people would mm. be like, you don't have to do that. You're not in a right. rush. I'm like, yeah, but one day I will be on a morning shift where I am on the rush and I need to be able right. to execute this. So this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but what do you think, I, I'm fascinated by by the infatuation with Waffle House. If you love Waffle House, you love Waffle Absolutely. House. Absolutely. So what what is it about that place that makes such loyal customers, do you think? There's, it's a it's a f- whole formula, I think. One, it's just the, the service for sure. You know, you're expecting that kind of diner service right, right. feel. Um, and I think it's unique. I don't think there's too many other Waffle House replicants. IHOP is a completely different restaurant. They're both breakfast restaurants, but they're so different. You know, diners are few and far between here, even in Tallahassee or right. anywhere. So I feel like for people who might have grown up on a you know easily accessible diner experience and they can't source it, you know, supporting a local business, Waffle House is kind of like that comfort feel for yeah. them. And availability, 24-7, the menu is consistent, the food has been consistent, those hash browns today taste like the hash browns that I was cooking 10 years ago, and even further back to that. So I feel like there's a number of things that work really well for Waffle House, and there's also a number of things that work against its favor, you know? So, But <laughs> yeah. in terms of, like, the people who love it, I think they're able to come into this restaurant and get exactly what they're expecting. Yeah, yeah. What did you do after you graduated from high school? Ooh, after I graduated from high school, that was kind of a uh, big chance for me to decide my future. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. I mean, I decided to go to state college. A lot of my peers had went to universities mainly because they were getting scholarships or, you know, the finances weren't really a problem. I was having to fund most of my college. If not I didn't ask you, were you a good student in high school? Did you make good grades? I was a good student. I wasn't a great student. Mm-hmm. I envied the great students. I feel mm-hmm. like I could have been a great student, but I was average. I, I just was 
didn't study at all. You had a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was still <laughs> competing. talked about yeah. Yeah, and working and everything. And, yeah. And so I wasn't a great student. I, I just relied purely on the attention I would pay in class and I wouldn't study further. So right. my grades would reflect that. But I wasn't, I, I could have been great. Yeah. But you went to Gulf Coast State College. Gulf right? Coast State College is where I went for my community college. And um, that was one of the best decisions. I, I, I'm a big fan of state colleges. It gives, I feel like, students a much more accessible environment to really decide what they want to do with their future. I mean, you're graduating right. at 18 years old and people are asking you, tell me what you want to do for the rest of your life. Right. And they don't know basic things. So I graduated, went to Gulf Coast State College, and I decided to go into culinary arts. And that's where things got really interesting because I, I talked to a lot of people who had been in careers and they always recommended going into the field first to make sure that's something you wanted to do. And I feel like Waffle House didn't mean I was a chef. So I wanted to go into a restaurant that would teach someone what an actual restaurant was like. So I applied at a restaurant called Firefly in Panama City Beach. And I was very fortunate to get that position. And they treated me like family. Like they brought mm. me in and they basically gave me a three-month culinary crash course before I even got to culinary school. It's like, here's how you work baking station. Here's how you work sushi. Here's how you work fry. Here's how you work expo. Here's how you cater. Here's what you need to look out for. Knife skills. Here's how you peel and devein shrimp. I got three months at the best restaurant in Panama City Beach before I even stepped foot on campus for culinary school. Wow. And so by the time I actually got to culinary school, I was very confident. Yeah. They were probably excited to see you with all your enthusiasm and, you know, just like get me started. Yeah. Put me to work. Like yeah. get me anywhere. And that was very interesting because the restaurant had its own reputation. So when I got to culinary school, although I didn't know how to cook, I was just a Waffle House cook. I had a Waffle House on my resume and I worked at Firefly. So to them, I was already like some excellent chef. And I'm like, guys, I don't know anything. <laughs> I really don't even cook at home. Right. So was this, but culinary school was a good experience for you? Yes. And I, you're actually going to be the first person to answer this truthfully with. Um, but in terms of culinary school, very hands-on. You know, your actual days, you spent an hour lecturing and then you were in the kitchen making a recipe, making a sauce, braising something. You were actually cooking, like right. on your feet, you would get to class at 7 a.m. and you would leave at 2 p.m. And so it was a full-on day and you would do that four days out of the week and then you had an elective on the fifth day that was a short day. So, yeah, you were basically working like a full-time job for culinary school and every day you were coming in Chef White's and doing some sort of different practice. Now, in terms of like is that what I benefited from, I can't actually say it was culinary school because I was as I was working those 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. culinary you know classes – I was also working at Firefly from 3 p.m. until 10. So those days were like 15-hour days just immersed in culinary arts for two full years. Right. And so I really got a lot from Firefly, and then I was getting a lot from culinary arts. And then vice versa. Things I would learn at school, I would go into work and try to apply. Some things weren't really you know, applicable. Some things were. And so it was like that back-and-forth motion of like a real-life job experience plus schooling really I feel like is what I benefited from. I can't say it was strictly culinary. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. The combination of all those experiences. All right. So at this point, were you pretty locked in that food was going to be your career? Yeah. I don't like to quit things. I don't like, I just don't. Usually when I start something, I'm trying to move it up the ladder. I want to see how far I can take myself to get there. The unfortunate part with food is like, it doesn't really work like that. Mm. Like it doesn't work like that, but I had committed to, to, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I want to do it. But unfortunately, that's when things got kind of tight with my family. So yeah. my dad, he had a brain aneurysm in 2014. And I mean, at this point, I was only 20 years old and I was already missing birthdays. I was already missing like time with my newborn niece. I was already missing, you know, anniversaries. 
it was really a tight career. It was really hard. So I was like, I don't know if all these chefs have told me, don't go into this career because your family will be a sacrifice. And I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. So when my dad had his aneurysm, I took that as like a wake up call to like, maybe look in a different direction, go and just get something as a backup or go in a different field where you can work nine to five, have benefits and a high pay. And for me, that was neuroscience. It gave me an opportunity to learn a little bit more about what happened with my dad. It right. was an interesting field. It had a high pay rate at the end of it. And so I said, you know what, let's, let's, I want to do it. So I had a really rough summer 2015. I ended up opening, helping opening a restaurant. Um, I was working two jobs at Firefly at the time and at a restaurant called The Pearl in Rosemary Beach. Mm -hmm. And so that time came around the time I was graduating and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to move to Tallahassee. I'm going to get out of all this whole, this culinary circle that they're running me around in. I was working way more than I should have at that point. And I just came to Tallahassee and said, I'm going to go to Florida State. I'm going to see if I can get my neuroscience degree and we'll see where I go from there. I know it makes sense and logically that's a good decision, but I mean, how do you feel inside that you were kind of, did you feel like you were giving up your dream? Yeah, I did. I did. So what I made sure I did was I, I kind of kept one on the back burner. So while I was enrolled in Florida state here, I wanted to have some sort of part-time kitchen job. And the reason I chose Florida state was actually because I got an offer to be one of the head chefs at Marie Livingston. The oh. steakhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we had talked, and I I'll go, I could go into detail about that whole gig, but it didn't work out. It did right. not work out. Um, I went to work one shift at the Edison for one day, and while it was great, the amount of work they were asking to pay $10 an hour, I was like, I just that's not going right. to be worth it. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, I felt pretty low. I felt like I had made a mistake. I wasn't really sure if, like, you know, if I it, Tallahassee just wasn't, maybe this was just only a part-time thing. And then I found an ad for Cool Beans Cafe on um, Craigslist. They're looking for a line cook. They had a pretty competitive pay, and I reached out to the owner. I I had eaten there previously before I even came to Tallahassee, and the owner was great, and I got a job. And from there, I that's where everything changed for me. That's where my love for food changed. That's where I started to really learn how to cook. The stuff I had learned in culinary school and Firefly previously, I feel like they were just feeding information to a robot. Whereas, like, now I'm learning, like, the mechanisms of how things operate. Right. It was an incredible experience. And I honestly fell back in love with cooking when I got to Cool Beans Cafe because it was like you were a superstar. When you were a cook on that line, it felt like when you were a cook at Waffle House where it was an open kitchen. People would come and just sit at the bar and watch you. And and they would, like, just be in awe of what was happening in front of them. And then that same plate would be presented to them. So it was like the Waffle House experience, but casual fine dining in a great community. It was, like this is awesome. Yeah. So that's really what, what got me back. And so at first, yeah, I, I felt pretty bad. I was like, ah, I just, I don't have my heart in neuroscience. It's a necessary education for my family, but I want to be cooking. And yeah. Cool Beans Cafe just scratched that itch. It was amazing. Yeah. You earn your degree from FSU. You get the degree in neuroscience. Correct. Right. And then, so what What happened after that? What was your plan at that point? So that was where, again, I felt like I was at a twilight. It felt just like when I graduated Gulf Coast State College. It felt just like when I graduated high school. Everyone keeps looking at you and they're like, well, what's next? What's next? Um, And I I didn't want to go. I didn't want to continue school. I told the professor I didn't want to, you know, do a master's thesis. Give me a year. Let me figure some stuff out. And in that year, I really just worked at Cool Beans. I worked at Cool Beans. I was a private chef for a family here in town. And that that was it. I just continued to work. Eventually, at some point, I started doing cooking classes. I started to do, I did one independent catering that year. And yeah, I was going to move to Seattle. So I I messaged a chef, um, Eduardo Jordan, 
from June Baby with the restaurant in Seattle. It's a James Beard-nominated restaurant, I do believe. And I emailed them asking I wanted to stage. I wanted to work there for a day and get the experience. I was looking at moving here. So I drove and drive. I flew up to Atlanta. I flew up to Seattle. Um, I worked at that restaurant for a day. It was incredible. He wasn't there. The sous chef wasn't there, but the staff was great. The food was incredible. It was a well-oiled machine. It felt like a challenge. You know, I feel like I didn't have that. I feel like at this point at Cool Beans, I pretty much got into a rhythm and, and knew what we were doing. Right here, everything felt kind of new and, and rigid. So, yeah, it felt like a big challenge. And they offered me a position, but I would have to move there in June of 2020. And yeah, I started to make some things move, and uh, that was the plan after graduation. I had it was just being a cook, and then I wanted to get out of Tallahassee. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta move. I gotta. Something's gotta be new. I don't even like it here. So. Right. Um, leaving Tallahassee was big on my priority around that time. So why didn't you end up going out there? So this is like probably the, my favorite story of my career. Uh, and I'll keep it brief. I had already ta- had this job interview. I had my, had my mind made up. I didn't know how I was going to afford moving out there, but I wasn't going to move from Tallahassee. Um, around this time, Keith Baxter came to me, and it was he was working on turning Mickey's Lakeside Cafe into KB Kitchen. And he comes to me and he says, do you want to buy a restaurant? Kind of in a joking manner. It was the first time I had seen him that morning. And Keith is the owner of Cool Beans? Correct. Okay. And I was like, well, no, well, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I decided like I'm not going to continue on with KB Kitchen. And I was like, that's huge news because I feel like that's a great location. Like, you could put anything there and it would do great. And at this time, I had just graduated college. I'm like 25, 26 years old. And um, I come to him at the end of the shift. And I'm like, man – I don't even know if I'm in a position to. I know I did know that, but I was like, I don't. How much are you looking for? For <laughs> you knew you didn't have them. I knew that there was no amount he was going to be able to say. Like, right. oh, okay, well, hold on. Well, it's a dollar. Yeah, there let me get go. back to you. Right. But um, I just wanted to know. I didn't know how much these transactions had cost. Like, I, I'd never done any sort of business-related deal yeah. ever before in my life. Business was not something I learned in in middle school, elementary school, um, high school, college. I took no biz. I had no business knowledge, and so. He gives me a number and I, you know, I go out and use my community network on Facebook and social media. Really the network I had built from the game Dance Dance Revolution I had played hmm. and said, I'm, you know, trying to raise some money for to purchase a location. Um, somebody was going to be an angel investor. They got all the money together for me. And um, I went to the Family Small Business Development Center and got statistics regarding the location so I could, you know, further solidify that this was a good idea, got a business plan together, a concept. The restaurant was gonna be kind of going to be called Omnia was its official okay. first name and cool in like name nine days yeah um and yeah I go to him I say I I had my whole plan together I had the money I say I want to buy a restaurant he said I just sold it yesterday mm. and I'm like man what what do you mean just and he gives me oh yeah you know keep your eyes out these things always come up and I was so mad. I'm like, I'm definitely moving to Seattle now. Like, I'll move tomorrow. I was, I was, I was angry. I felt like I shouldn't have even put myself in a position to yeah. get that rejection. Um, and the pandemic happened two days after that. So that's what kept me here. You were ready to make a leap. Thought you had a plan. Door gets slammed. Right, you don't face. even get to leave Tallahassee. So now you're stuck here. Now I'm stuck. Now, <laughs> now I got my heart broken. I can't even go to Seattle, and I am stuck inside of my own room. So. So what was the next step? So, of course, I had to do something, right? And for me, that was video production. So what I did was I used my apartment since we couldn't leave. 
Um, and I just turned my apartment into a video production studio and I would stream on Facebook and Twitch. I used a couple of Logitech webcams and I had some basic overlays and I would just teach cooking classes. I would just kind of cook a dinner for the evening and talk about knife skills and saucing. Did you have a camera up above shooting I had straight top, down? I had a top down. Nice. I had a, a body camera. And then I had a lot of friends in production. So, you know, they were helping me out. Here's what you should get. Here's what you should think about. Um, and then it just picked up. I was going on Twitch. Um, some big media company in L.A. found me called Food Beast. And they wanted me to compete on their online cooking competition. So I was competing on there. The people who supported me from Dance Games were now able to support me online through cooking. And I had a gentleman reach out and he was like, I think what you're doing is great. You should, we need to get you like organized. And this gentleman sat with me for almost a 12 week period every single week. He was, he lived in Japan and worked on creating my branding and letting me understand like, you know, what people are going to be looking wow. for on the website, created my website and yeah, through that 2020 year when I was locked inside the home, I ended up completely renovating that studio and and went from a two-camera setup to a four-Sony camera setup, top-down, self-produced with music um, and recipes that people could follow along with. So that's really where I, all my time and attention went. But that led to people finding out about it in Tallahassee. They were like, oh, well, there's this chef that I watch, and um, he's been pretty cool. I have a private dinner, and it led to one booking – and that led to another booking and that led to, you know, from that point on, I was like cooking meals, uh, prepping the food, going to their homes, cooking the meals. And then um, people would post about it on Tallahassee Foodies and someone else was like, well, I want him to come to my home and, <laughs> you know, you know, cook in my house. And so right. then somebody else would book me. So that cycle happened over and over and over again. Before, and I got busy enough to where I went back to Keith Baxter and Cool Beans and I was like, I haven't seen that location. I haven't seen anything done with that location since I since the pandemic. Do you still have it? And he did have it. So mm. I ended up going and asking him for it. And we agreed on a number. And within, I think, two weeks' time, you know, the business was sold to me. Wow. That's a very cool story. Yeah. So it was like the city of Tallahassee gave me enough support initially that I feel like I had enough income to take on this business. And that was March of 2021. Yeah. So I want to dive in a little bit to the private chef thing. So what what is that for people who don't have private chefs? What does yeah. that mean? How does that work? And are, are you – is it a creative thing where people say, Leon, I trust you, man. I want you to make something for me. Or do they say, here's my grandma's recipe. I want you to make this. Just explain the whole world to me. It comes in all forms. Okay. So in the form that was most requested to me during the pandemic – people would have a special event or something they were hosting at their home and they just wanted a high-level quality food at their house. Like catering only personalized and you were there. You're not bringing stuff to them. Correct. It's more I mean, of an experience, right? It's a full experience. And how it starts is we have an event, a birthday party. Um, we just want three courses. Um, and, here's some, and here's how I would do it. I would say we create a menu especially for your, especially for your palate. If you don't like eggplant, you don't like peppers, if you have allergies, if you have dietary restrictions, then I create a menu with enough options that you're able to pick from that menu and then um, say, okay, I want this, I want this, and I want this. Um, and then I, I prep all of it. I buy all the groceries. You don't even have to lift anything in your home. The only thing I require in your home is one shelf in the fridge free. And so around, you know, about to say two hours before your event, hour and a half before your event, 
I would come into the house with, you know, coolers and everything and start unloading all the proteins and prep food and then start assembling everything as if this were like a line service. And most guests, they would have their own flatware and plates and things like that. If they didn't, I would provide them. And if there were too many people that I couldn't serve myself, I would bring a server. And yeah, that's it. I would come into the home. But they get to see it, smell it, the whole thing. They get to ask questions. They get to see it. They get to, you know, um, why did you do this and uh, everything. So some clients, they want their grandma's recipes. They want it just like this. They want to cook just like this. Some clients, they um, they want specific dietary restrictions. You know, they're booking me because they can't go anywhere and have this kind of food. So they have budgeted enough money aside so that they can eat specifically like they want. Some clients are coming in for hunting season, so they are not here all the time, and they have a giant cabin out in South Georgia, and they just want to cook to have hearty meals for them. So when they come back from, you know, hunting, they don't have to think about that. So the private chef field, I would highly recommend to any chef who's listening to this, any person who's interested in like cooking. There is a need. There's a huge demand all across the Northwest Florida area. Even if you go to Destin, Rosemary Beach, all these areas, the private chef field, it is the best way to really really get into the business. You're able to, you know, kind of control everything. You're able to control the cost. You're able to control your labor. You're able to control like those menus that are being sent out and then you get an actual personal experience with your guest. And I think that is so important when you're looking to build something bigger, because then if they had a great experience with you personally and you go and you want to do something bigger, that group of 12 or that group of eight or that group of four, that group of 20. Now, when you open up and you do have that project, they're going to be like, wow, I remember when we had his food at Michelle's house. I can't wait to go to see his restaurant or go see his food truck or go see, you know, whatever he's doing. So during this process as a private chef and doing this work, are you developing kind of, I don't know if flavor profiles are the right or your style and influences? And are you kind of getting, are you kind of creating who you are as a chef more during this process? Yeah, I really feel like I found my identity during that time because I went from cooking recipes in a team of people to now being the sole person who was creating exactly what is being served to these people from start to finish. And that is a, you're a little vulnerable at that stage. That was probably the only hard part about getting to do these private dinners is I would go out, you know, you're completely vulnerable. You know, you prepped Every single thing. If somebody is like, oh, I didn't like the gas streak that was here at a restaurant, you can be like, oh, well, I'll tell the prep cook. You know, I was, yeah, I definitely didn't make that. If someone says that at the table, you're like, "Mm, what? Is it too much acid? Did it cook too long? Like, was it, was it the berry? You know, there's so much that that you kind of think about. And and instead of that feeling of going in and like really experiencing a wonderful feeling, sometimes there is that a little bit of anxiety. Sometimes there's a little bit of doubt. Um, But when you're initially starting out, those are very prominent. Once you've done it uh, enough times, you get used to it. And then, yeah, you become proud of what you're developing. You take these flavor profiles of these dietary restriction clients and you end up finding out new recipes. That creativity becomes a lot stronger because you decided to go with an idea and you were able to see the guest enjoy it right in front of you. So I really feel like I found – like I used – an amalgamation of all my experiences from Cool Beans, from Firefly, from The Pearl to Dolce Italiano to um, to when I was at June Baby to then this private experience. Like, I really feel like that's where my cooking experience came from. It didn't come from cooking with grandma. It came from an, like all these really talented restaurants. Yeah. And we'll be right back. How I Got Here is sponsored by Barano Heating and Air Conditioning in Tallahassee. I've been friends with Patrick Barano since we met in a chamber leads group about 15 years ago. I'll admit that I pursued him pretty hard to be his marketing firm and eventually won him over. And the reason I wanted to work with him 
is that I was already a customer and I knew what kind of company he and his father before him had built. He cares about his customers, he cares about his team, and he cares about this community. I've experienced Barano Heating and Air when they installed a complete system replacement a few years ago, and I enjoy peace of mind and same-day service with my total comfort service agreement. I've also been behind the scenes at their office and seen firsthand the true character of this company, and that's why we're so proud to represent them. To learn more or to schedule an appointment online anytime, visit BarinoAC.com. They really always will be there for you. And now back to the show. When you describe, obviously you can make anything, but do you have a style that if people want what you're really known for or what you love to cook, is is there something that fits into that? I really hope like by the end of this one day, I know it's not going to be anytime soon, but I really do hope that um, I'm I'm regarded as like one of the best Southern chefs, like not okay. even one of the best Southern chefs, but like that you know if you're gonna get Southern food from Leon, like he is going to do it the correct way, like he's really going to he's gonna get collard greens and pull them and chop them, or he's gonna make his own stocks, or he's gonna make his own cornbread. You know, there's that's really what I want to be known for. Um, my style is a lot more on flavor. I drive a lot of international influence through um, techniques and flavor through all these different manners, whether it be shopping for heirloom spices or shopping for an heirloom masa that might make my handmade tortillas taste different than Loco's handmade tortillas or getting a specific smoked paprika that has a stronger smoke flavor. Like that's kind of what I'm, I really feel like helps the flavor of the food that I present is like, I'm, I try to get the best ingredients that I can get within the budget that presents itself. Sure. And that's one thing. Also the knowledge of international cuisine and how to like put that into into southern food for example i'm making collard greens right now smoker the chicken's on the smoker as we're having this conversation and i rubbed them in an adobo rub which is a mexican style paste those collard greens are going to get pulled in this adobo rub that's got all these cilantro and and tomatoes sun-dried tomatoes peppers garlic like not stuff that would ever be in collard greens but that chicken tastes so good and once it's mixed into the collard greens and they braise down that's a flavor you're not going to be able to get from anybody else's collard greens because they're not adobo rubbing their chicken. They may just be smoking turkey necks or, you know, that's kind of like that a unique thing is like he has great unique foods that are also in this like southern feel. But you can kind of get the influences from Morocco or from Asia, from India, from Mexico, mm-hmm. from Colombia. So yeah. That's kind of a weird one. I, I don't know. I want to be known as a talented chef who can make anything by the when it's all said and done. I want to have this very strong intelligence of ingredients and recipes. Um, I don't like to be boxed into a cuisine, but if I had to, it would be Southern. Okay. Let's go back to talking about the building at Lake Ella, kind of where, what it has been up to this point, what it's, what it is about to be and what you, what vision you have for that space. Okay. So the building up to this point, I had, I came into a thousand square foot cottage that sits right on Lake Ella. It is the cottage next to Big Easy Snowballs that sits right on the lake. It used to be Mickey's Lakeside Cafe, which was a popular lunch spot back, I I think they were as open as early as 2013, but they closed in 2017. Keith ended up getting the building and did renovations to do his own iteration of um, his version of a restaurant there. And unfortunately, there were a lot of things that Mickey did that would not work for what Keith did. And one of those was there was no gas equipment, and that required a hood vent system to be installed. So Keith installed a hood vent system, 
as well as um, did a lot of leasehold improvements to the building that would help for a, you know, a flow. However, you have one building, a thousand square feet, and I mean, a full restaurant has to operate out of that thing. So the amount of work I think that was in front of Keith at that moment with everything that was happening with like his life personally and Cool Beans Cafe, it just didn't seem like that was a battle worth taking. Mm-hmm. And then I came in in 2021 and kind of saw a lot of those things. I knew the route to the restaurant would be a long one. So I decided to focus mainly on catering out of the building and said I would use this as an extension of like my catering business that I was already doing in the year 2020 and then just kind of use that time to slowly get acclimated to the building, see what needs happened. And as I'm doing this catering, I'm able to address what's going wrong in the building and slowly fix them over time. Right. And I decided to stick with that catering model for a while up until I got to a point where I was comfortable in the building to open as a lunch service restaurant. Right. So that's really what it's mainly been. Everyone's like, when is it open? When is it opening? I'm like, well, there's still quite a bit that my staff needs. There's still quite a bit that, you know, the guests would need. And if I just open the doors as a lunch service restaurant, like I'm not a rich entrepreneur. I kind of got into a good position to get this posi- get this location and had to quickly like figure out the rest later. So what is your vision for what that space is going to be? So that vision has has always been that that space would focus on lunch, private dining, cooking classes and catering. It, it wasn't going to happen out of one location. So I was actually fortunate enough to get a second location at Lake Ella. It used to be the old Kitchenable and they moved out and then a business called Garden and Grays moved in. They moved out and I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to do these four services out of one building. I just need help expanding. And I ended up getting that building December of 2022. Okay. And so that building, the vision now of, of what's happening at the restaurant, and I'm, I'm happy I get an opportunity to talk about this because it's not easy to explain to people on the streets. Why is the restaurant taking so long? Like, ah, mm. Well, so <laughs> there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. And yeah. the biggest thing was I didn't want to, I never wanted to sacrifice one of the services I provide. I didn't want to sacrifice the catering. I did not want to sacrifice the cooking classes. I did not want to sacrifice the private dinners for sure. But I also wanted to provide lunch to the area of Lake Ella. I wanted to provide another restaurant to the people in Los Robles. I wanted to provide a people in the Midtown area who live right down there. The yeah. people who live in the, um, there's a Levy Park area. Like my, the big goal was like, I, although I do these three services, I want to share this food with the people of Tallahassee on a consistent basis. That has always been the goal of this restaurant. But the other three services are what funds the first one happening with all the leasehold improvements happening, with all the new equipment being needed to purchase. Um, So I had to kind of juggle the two between it. I was fortunate enough to get the second location. So now the second location goes strictly for that catering, for the private dinners, for prep. And then the other location, the original one, can just be for my lunch service. So are you glad you got stuck in Tallahassee? I could not be more thankful. I yeah. love this town. I love the people. I love the the actual town. I, I, I love this place. I mean, I don't know. I haven't lived much places other than this, so I'm not able to like comfortably say, like, oh, Savannah's not like this or Charlotte's not like this. But I just don't feel like – I feel like what Tallahassee has is very unique. Mm. I feel like it's very unique. People here really support each other whether it be for business, whether it be just personally, they yeah. want to get to know each other and like create a good relationship. And then once you start living here, you start seeing every, the yeah. circles close very soon. So I, yeah. I'm very happy. All right. We cannot leave this conversation without talking about your television career. Oh, oh my goodness. All, All right. right. Let's get it. Now, so is, you were on is... a reality show called Secret Chef. I am. Came out the summer of 2023. 
And uh, first, we'll start. How did you get cast for that show? <laughs> this is such a crazy experience. I do believe this is the first time I got to talk uh, at length about this. So I got cast for the show. They found me on Instagram. And they reached out to me and said, hey, we're with a casting agency. Um, check us out. Here's the link. Um, we're filming a cooking competition show. I have had these happen before where I, f- I go through the whole process and nothing happens. Okay. I'm like, okay. Um, I fill out the application of a casting call and nothing works. So I was like, all right, whatever. I, I filled it out and um, they liked the first round. So I got scheduled for a Zoom call. Um, they liked the second round. I talked about my competitive DDR spirit and what I've been doing as a chef. And then I got the confirmation that I would be on the show. They did not let me know what the show was called. They did not let me know the network of the show. They did not let me know the rules of the show. They did not let me know the prize of the show. They did not let me know any details of this television show. They said, sign this contract. You will have a flight from Tallahassee to Atlanta. You will be in this hotel for three weeks. Here's how much we will pay you. We cannot tell you anything else. I was like, all right, let me, where, where do I sign? Sign <laughs> so, right here? So why why were you attracted by that? Just the challenge of it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, just, I was like, Sounds I feel like fun. anybody else would have been like, I just need to know. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, it's, it's I've, I've checked, and I know this is legit. Right. Like, I had There was enough verification along the way sure. to know I was safe in making the decision. Right. But um, wasn't I, Squid Game or anything, right? It felt like, you know, <laughs> it felt like it a little bit, but I, yeah, there was enough to where I was like, okay, I, I'll, right. I'll, I'm, I'll be okay. But so what was the experience like? The experience was, was unlike anything I've ever imagined, even like thinking about Hollywood and how Hollywood people get treated and like, or like, like acting and television, it was, it actually is real. You know, I'm, I was getting chauffeured to the, I was getting chauffeured to the stage I was getting taken to hair, makeup, and wardrobe. I was getting a catered breakfast. Um, they were putting sound gear on me. And then my job was just to be myself on a camera set for like a 12-hour day. That was the only bad part was like it was a long, long experience. Days. But um, they short they, they got shorter and shorter with the less contestants. Was it hard to be yourself? Did you feel like you were trying to play a role or be somebody? Or could you be comfortable and just do your thing? I was pretty comfortable. Like, yeah. from the second I got on there, I was like, if I just be myself, I'm going to be okay. The only time I was not myself, and I feel like I really worked the cameras, was during the confessionals. Because mm-hmm. I felt like that was the time for them to get content that could drive the actual s- storyboard of the show. What right. I say in this confessional can create drama, it can create relief, It can. I and I felt like I understood that. So when I would go into the confessional, I would have an idea of how I wanted the show to play out at the very end of it. And so my responses would not be – sometimes they would not be 100% genuine, but if anything, they were like 80% genuine. You know, right. it was like I, I just had to make sure I worded things. But if things. you added a little juice to it or something. Yeah. yeah. I had to just just put a little more mustard on this on this <laughs> deliverable or maybe a little more animated when I'm saying this. Um, but I was pretty much myself on the show. I tell people if you watch the show, you're, you're going to get the exact same person when you see me. Yeah. Like my friends, that was the coolest part. They are like, man – you just got on TV and you were just yourself. Like that was wild to watch. Yeah. It was just me up there. Yeah. So I mean, the show, all 10 episodes dropped at once. It's been out for a while now. So are you comfortable talking about the outcome or do you want to yes, make yes. people wait? No, no, no. no. Okay. It has been out since the summer. Yep. Um, spoilers going forward if you have not watched Secret Chef from this point on. But I have not been able to talk about the show for a full year. So I love any opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about I have I watched a good amount of the season and I did skip to the very end to see what happened. And uh, you were on that episode. Yep. So uh, please share about how the show ended and how that all felt. So the ending, I made it to the finale. Um, that didn't feel real. Um, Wait, first, I'm sorry. Let's get, let's talk about the concept of the show. What are you, what are yeah. you doing on the show? 
So on Secret Chef, the term Secret Chef comes from the fact that we are cooking in secret and judging each other in secret. And the chef with the highest score is protected. The chef with the lowest score goes home. Um, towards the middle of the season, they started throwing in some quirks where there'd be redemption opportunities or team challenges. And um, all throughout the show, it was a $100,000 grand prize. Okay. And throughout the show, I didn't. you're not really able to gauge your talent of the guests around you because you're cooking independently. You get one opportunity on the first episode, but from that point on, you don't know the talent of the guests around you. So I didn't think for a grand prize of $100,000, that's not meant for me. You know, that's meant for the the chef who is, you know, worked at Michelin restaurants or, you know, whatever. Right. I just didn't think that that money was for me. So every episode, I just couldn't believe how far I was making it. I was like, okay, you know, I'm six left, five left, four left, three left, four left, five left, four left, three left. <laughs> grand finale was like, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Like, I have been I at that point I had won six challenges to the show. Um, I was very confident. I wasn't overconfident. So you won six. So you were protected those episodes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I had won six total challenges. Wow. The person I was going against had only won one single challenge. And my the character that I'm going up against was was my partner in the first episode. He was the chef that I decided to bring back halfway through the season. The home chef, right? He was the home chef, Lanky. Right. Yeah. And yeah, he was the chef in the finale. The category for the finale is, I feel like, where things went wrong. So the, I could talk about, like, the results of the finale, but just know, like, everything was different. They brought all the cast members back. The schedule and rhythm was very different for that day. Um, we had to cook three—we had to cook 33 plates total versus, you know, previous rounds we were only cooking, like, eight, six, three, nine, you know. Never, 33 total was 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 a lot. Yeah. So, um it was a three-hour challenge, and for me, it just overthought a lot of things, and I just did not go with my intention on the mm-hmm. finale. Like, there were some choices on the first course. I was like, I just should have went with the gazpacho. The second course was like, I didn't do this. Third course, you know, it was just a lot of things that I really, like, tried to swing for the fences because it was the finale. Yeah. Um, and then in the results, that was kind of the weird part as well because I didn't get as much negative feedback from David Chang as Lanky did. Lanky received quite a bit of negative feedback that never made it on camera. Mm. And so in my head, I'm like, I'm safe. Yeah. I'm, I feel like you know, we were able to taste our food during the finale and then it gets to the results. And I'll say, man, that was like the hardest thing to come back to Tallahassee to because I felt like no one knew, but I felt like I let everyone uh, down. I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you'll see in a year. Don't worry. <laughs> But getting to the finale, I mean, you had to take some, you know, a sense of accomplishment in that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, that I, was amazing. I, I'm just competitive. So I, the fact that I got there, I won six challenges. I really did well on the show. Um, and I was able to be myself. Although I didn't win, I do feel like there was so much benefit to being on that show. Sure. Do you think you should have won? Oh, my God. I, If you ask me, honestly, no. Um, I, I don't think I should have won based upon the actual judging format. They want, they were judging the entire menu. They were not judging each individual dish. I feel like if they were judging each individual dish, we might be in a different conversation. Mm. But by judging the entire menu, it's a tough one. How did you handle not winning at the moment? So I came back to Tallahassee from that, and that's where I shifted gears completely. Um, this was August of 2022, and I was a private chef for a family I feel like I wasn't focused on the restaurant because I was comfortable in this private chef job that was paying me more money than I'd ever made in my life. 
And I was just like putting the restaurant off. Oh, we'll open mm-hmm. here. We'll do this. We'll do. This. I hadn't actually spent time on the opening. And I got back. I felt like my cooking style had been compromised by the family that I was cooking for. They had a lot of restrictions. So I wasn't really being able to be myself as a chef. Right. Um, I was distracted from the restaurant because I was doing all these extracurricular activities. And I feel like I, I was just coming up short as a result of like my own like um, over overextension of my schedule. And just there was just so many errors I was making. So I said, you know what? I'm going to come back in August of 2022 and we're going to focus on the opening of this restaurant. We're going to, we're going to really dial it in and get what we need going. And that's what I did. So in August of 2022, all the way up to this point, although I've been focusing on catering, the whole focus now has been the opening of the restaurant before I was just talking about it. Oh yeah. yeah whenever it's opening soon. But you came back focused, energized, more determined than ever. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't take that one well at all. So yeah. I, said, I don't, I don't ever want that to happen again. It shouldn't have happened. It was it was a pretty easy competition. Like at, at, when you look at it um, in retrospect, in terms of like what I had to do, and I just wanted to be a better chef so that this didn't happen again. Yeah, I still think it's pretty cool to make it to the finale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was awesome. It was cool, and and it, the 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 controversy from it resulted in I feel like creating stronger fans for me. If I had one, they would have been like, "Wow, congratulations! We love doing Secret Chef. Right. We'll support you." This is like you were robbed, <laughs> and we're going to do right by it. We'll support you wherever we need to. You just let us know. Right. So the fans I have now are extra passionate because they really feel like. Well, look what it's done for FSU football right now. We're in that, you know, getting snubbed for the college football playoff. People are coming out at everywhere. And that, that almost feels better than like, you know, it doesn't, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't yeah, but, but it, it feels <laughs> a, a little better. You yeah, know? sure. All right. Um, I do want to touch on real quickly as we're wrapping up that uh, you serve on the board of Second Harvest of the Big Ben. Yes. Right. Why is that important to you to be involved with them? So for me, there is a quote from Jose Andres. He is one of the founders of World Central Kitchen. And he said, I feel like people in my field, he's the chef of, of Michelin star restaurants around the world. So people in my field are not doing enough work for humanity. Like chefs are not doing using their skills for humanity. And I was like, oh my God. I just feel like I had a groundbreaking moment where I realized like chefs were almost cooking for other chefs. They're mm. trying to impress other chefs or other food journalists or other people like that. They weren't actually cooking using their skills to say, how can I turn not not to speak on like all of the chefs in the world, but like I felt like he didn't see enough of it. And I felt like I was like, he's right. I feel like I haven't done anything like that. I have not. I have, I've been cooking for 10 years at this point. I haven't given back. I haven't used my talents or any of this to say I can help people who really, truly need it. And I had a good relationship with Second Harvest um, where I was just cook, doing cooking classes with the box that they had that they were distributing. Oh, yeah. And so I would open the box and you know say, here's how I would prepare these foods. That's a great idea. Here's some techniques that I would do. And they would leave with a, a recipe. And so they'd be able to take that box to their house and, you know, cook more. As I started to connect with more of, like, the people who had these needs, I'm like, they just need a lower mm-hmm. bandwidth for, like, cooking at home. That's it. Like, they're already going through so much in their lives. I just want to be able to provide, like, education and, like, close that gap on what it takes to actually cook a great meal so that they can, act, you know, feel better and have better decision making with a full stomach. That's awesome. Yeah, you don't have to spend a fortune to have good food, right? Right. But it, it can seem like that because yeah. you're watching Food Network and you're watching Gordon Ramsay and you're like, well, I can't do that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, well, no, you can. But, you know, it does take kind of that leap to, you know, start. Um, so I'm involved with Second Harvest on the board to 
I, I really want to help with the Northwest Florida food insecurity problem through education, and I really want to help the Northwest Florida food insecurity problem through providing meals when the business has an opportunity to. We did um, give away 500 meals for Hurricane Adelia relief, yeah. and we have done education at times. I'm doing a, an event this Thursday. So, yeah, I like to do as much as I can with Second Harvest. I think it's one of the best nonprofits in town, and I, I the team is great. The CEO, Monique Ellsworth, is very inspiring. Awesome. All right, Leon, looking back, what is the one person or thing that changed or altered the trajectory of your life to this point? Oh, it was Chef Matt. I had a decision in Chef Matt and my relationship um, with a girl that I left high school with. Um, goodness, it was a one-day decision. He he texted me, offered me a $15 an hour job position. I was at Firefly. Um, I did not give my original chef who taught me everything I knew an opportunity to match the hourly rate. And I just left and I went to this job. And because I wasn't able to get the saute position that I so badly craved, I just wanted to work the saute station. The guy was there for forever. Mm. The day I left, he ended up getting a car wreck and they needed to fill the position. Mm. And so I feel like if I had just stayed, I would have been able to get that position and I feel like I'd be in a very different spot right here. So I'm going to say Chef Matt for texting me, but I'm also going to say Chef Paul for not giving me that saute station. I think about that moment, that that split very often. Um, I'd say Chef Paul definitely for sure. He gave me a chance, and I'm, not, I'm knocking on the back door of a restaurant that has fed Obama, and the chef has been to the Olympics, and I'm like this 18-year-old kid who just was passionate about food, and he decided, you know what, none of this makes sense. You've never held a knife before in your life. You don't even know the basics of cooking come on in, we'll show you. Mm. And from that point on, like that whole family of, of cooks there took care of me and protected me and made sure like I was in a good environment. I didn't, I didn't succumb to any of like those kitchen stereotypes yeah. of drugs and alcohol. And yeah, it was, it was chef Paul for sure. At Firefly. At Firefly. Yeah. yeah. But if he had given me that saute station, just <laughs> a hair earlier, I feel like everything would be different now. I might just be the head chef over there and living in PC. I don't know, man. That's just that day I think about often. Yeah. All right. Final question. The podcast is called How I Got Here. And we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here might be for you in the next three to five years? Oh, my goodness. Gracious alive. Okay. I hope in the next three to five years, the restaurant is successful. Many people have had great experiences with it. We have awards. I'm able to, to maintain a catering business while I'm not here. I have doubled my involvement with Second Harvest of the Big Bend. I'm able to have numbers and show how I've helped with Northwest Florida and the food insecurity problem here. Yeah. And I really hope to have a just a wider reach here in Tallahassee. Really hope to connect more with AMU, a little bit more with FSU, strengthen that relationship I have with TCC. Um, I, I really just want to strengthen the relationships I've built. Um, I don't I don't really want to expand. I don't want to get another location. I don't see Fran. I don't see any of those big goals. I want to do well in things I have started. And um, I don't know. I hope to be in the Champions Club at some point, watching FSU football, <laughs> and not yeah. in sandwich between Miami fans. Yeah, that would be ideal. But that does sound better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably the first thing I can see in my future. But overall, I really hope that like. The beginning stages of this with uh, all, everything that's happening, the work that I do in the next three to five years is able to overshadow what it took to get this started. And everyone's like, 
what Leon has done is very unique and special. Um, I hope it gets recognized on a national basis at some point. I hope I do enough work that is garners national recognition, uh, and I and I hope it's it's consistently good. So. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.